0: all right hello everyone and welcome to another installment of h2 tech talk the podcast series by h2 tech the hydrogen technology journal from gulf energy information Uh, today we are here sitting down with corey marcon industry manager for power and energy at interest in hauser how are you doing today corey
1: i'm doing well tyler thanks for having me
0: of course thanks for joining me Uh, you want to go ahead and get started with the first question sure All right, let's get into it. So um, what are the quality requirements of water and what preparations must be considered to produce green hydrogen?
1: Yeah, thanks. So it's about three to five gallons of water per kilogram of of hydrogen. Uh, And that varies based on the different technologies, whether you're talking about uh, PEM-based electrolysis or alkaline or even high PEM some of the hybrid, uh, but that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Uh, And another good rule of thumb is ASTM type 2 water. Uh, So that defines a bunch of different parameters like total organic carbons and pH. uh, But in the world of electrolysis, the most important is conductivity. Uh, So when you're looking at, for example, PEM electrolyzer, you could see a water spec. Of uh, less than five microsiemens, sometimes as low as one microsiemens. I've seen 0.1 microsiemens. And just to give that a little bit of context, your tap water is about 50 microsiemens. Um, so that water, water polishing and refinement uh, that that happens is really towards the the end goal of getting that uh, purity down low enough that it's not um, you know corroding the membrane or interfering. Uh, with the electrolysis process um, and I would just mention as well that a lot of that water that's not getting zapped the first time around gets recirculated uh, so you know even though it's you know you, you're producing this you're using this water uh, and some of it's not going through the process and being electrolyzed uh, it gets recircula- recirculated for another try.
0: So just to backpedal a little bit, you said something about the purity being the proper level, and you mentioned tap water specific. So uh, are there different types of treatments dependent on the water source, like maybe tap water, seawater, well water, and um, what different water requirements based on the kind of electrolysis technology?
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest difference is going to be with if you were talking about seawater versus just municipal water, whether it's well water or um, coming from a, a freshwater, another freshwater source like a river or something like that. That's where you'll have to add desalinization as an interim step before you did your, your most reverse osmosis or your, your deionization of that of that water. Um, so if you think about geography for a moment, like where you've got long coastline a bunch of uh, space for electrolyzers and also for renewable energy, like solar panels. Uh, That's where you'll see these like super mega scale green hydrogen projects like in Australia and Saudi Arabia that will actually basically go all the way from seawater to green hydrogen. Uh, In the two types, PEM and alkaline, it's, it's not gonna be a huge difference in terms of uh, what type of technology you would use or process you would use to purify the water? Even though PEM is a little bit stricter on the water spec, um, you would probably see more of a difference in high temperature electrolysis, or otherwise known as solid oxide electrolysis. Okay. That's like the Bloom Energies of the world, right? Uh, they're using steam as their as their fluid uh, instead of you know just regular water. Um, and that then requires a whole bunch of different uh, parameters for for steam quality, like sodium, silica uh, and others.
0: I see. Um, so, with measuring this this purity and these different qualities, are there any like key technologies available for uh, critical measurements of green hydrogen?
1: Yeah, so on the electrolyzer feed water, right, the upstream of of the uh, core process, uh, conductivity is is really important, or res- resistivity. It's also um, kind of inversely uh, called. And you know, certainly those those uh, technologies exist on the market uh, and and have for quite some time. Uh, but this notion of hydrogen purity, especially at the electrolyzer plant, I think is something that's evolving. Uh, and you know, we feel like our technology that we've been using in natural gas for decades. Can be reapplied. Uh, So, you know, there's a bunch of standards out there. SAE, you know, J2719, that's the one a lot of people have heard about for um, fuel cell uh, EVs. Um, There's an ISO spec 14687. I know you had Rich Craig from the CGA. Uh, You know, they have their own standard. ASTM has their own standard. Um, But in general, uh the goal when you're looking at hydrogen purity is not to directly measure hydrogen it's to indirectly calculate the purity based on snooping around for those impurities so if you're talking about making hydrogen out of h2o uh, the only thing that isn't h2 on the tailpipe uh or you know in that in that process uh product gas uh is h2o that made it through uh, and O2 that went the wrong way uh, and made it through the treatment process. Um, and those are the process impurities, right? You could have nitrogen uh, because of uh, potential purge gas, but that's its own um, you know topic uh, to discuss. So in general, uh, we've been measuring moisture and oxygen down to trace levels for decades in the natural gas industry and in the same technology um, using infrared, uh, and quenched fluorescence um, can be used to help determine those impurities, which ultimately becomes that hydrogen purity measurement.
0: So, what's next? What what goes wrong if if these levels aren't uh, measured, monitored correctly?
1: Yeah, down downstream of that, uh, you could run into some some issues. Uh, most of them are related to. Uh, efficiency. So, for example, a fuel cell is just not going to run as efficient um, with uh, oxygen and moisture and, and will degrade much faster. Um, really, it's the halogens or the sulfurs, um, which wouldn't be present from green hydrogen, but could be present from blue hydrogen. If those get through and you start to um, you know, have some chemical reactions in the fuel cell, you could actually create a hazardous gas. Um, when you know we hail the fuel cell as the the ultimate zero emission uh, you know um, mechanism, it uh, it would be a shame if we were getting uh, toxic fumes out there yeah. out of those tailpipes, right? Um, but that's just kind of one aspect of of safety, right? I mean, there's uh, a lot we could we could talk about um, downstream. Um, You know, pipeline standards in general, right, especially around moisture, are written for, uh, you know, fear of certain acids forming, right, having uh, an opportunity for, um, you know, acids to form in the aqueous solution. Things like hydrogen sulfur and, and turning into sulfuric acid. Gotcha. So, okay. so
0: speaking more on safety, uh, what about safety standards? You mentioned some before, but what are some specific standards that are essential um, to the process and functional safety of your technologies?
1: Yeah, so the the ones that I was mentioning earlier are standards around purity uh, across different, you know, portions of of the hydrogen value chain. When it comes to safety or specifically functional safety, the, you know, IEC, Six one five eleven is well known um, across really all industries, uh, particularly heavy industry. Uh, you know, the, the chemical industry, petrochemical. Those have really been the the champions of of safety. And, and frankly, uh, electrolyzer plants, I think, are going to benefit from decades of learning uh, on you know how to safely operate and design redundant systems uh, in order to you know meet the the needs of um, early detection on things like failure mode analysis, right? I mean, it's it's going to follow a very similar path. Um, so, really, the the answer to your question, in its narrowest form, is just your typical uh, safety instrumented systems, your your typical uh, SIS and and functional safety. Uh, but there will be some, you know, unique. Uh, obscurities in in the hydrogen world, right, because it is a tricky molecule where safety is going to, you know, be an evolving topic, Uh, particularly around um, some mechanical concerns around things like embrittlement. So you'll have uh, newer standards like ASME B31.12 for hydrogen piping um, and, you know, hydrogen industrial piping, uh, where you may have uh, some... Materials blacklisted, right? Like titanium, for example, uh, or Hastelloy, uh, or super duplex. These types of steels that we may use in um, carbon uh, sequestration, right? Really high pressure, very large Coriolis flow meters that we use in, um, you know, carbon capture. We can't apply that same uh, flow meter for the same uh, scale. Uh, of hydrogen um, being pushed uh, from one place to another uh, and us needing to meter it specifically for uh, just the reason of that material compatibility. Um, But yeah, in in general, you know, our our view is that because it's such a fast pace right now, uh, we want to try to facilitate um, and be a part of, you know, really uh, a participant in the community that I think is developing in hydrogen, not just hydrogen safety, but really when you go to these conferences, there's clearly everyone is, is pretty humble uh, in, in how we we want to approach the next uh, decade as we build all this infrastructure out. And so uh, this idea of safety being more of a value instead of a priority, um, if I can borrow that uh, phrase that I've heard from a, a colleague in, in Texas, right? Like, <laughs> priorities, they, uh, they shift. Uh, and you know, if we're in an environment of urgency to build and deploy um, for our net zero goals, um, hopefully, uh, you know, that would stay a priority, right? But if it's a value, that's just intrinsic. It's intrinsic to the whole process. So, you know, we're 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 playing our part. We're going to host a an electrolyzer technical forum in uh, the fall. Um, you know, so of course, if my contact information is. Is available when you release this. We'd, we'd be happy to to talk to more um, folks interested in attending and and talking about safety uh, in a room full of you know, 20 of their of their peers in electrolyzer, uh, you know, various companies. Uh, and then you know just to punctuate that as as the last point, we joined uh, the Center for Hydrogen Safety, which is okay. more broadly focused on. Uh, facilitating that community across that full value chain, not just green hydrogen. To take it
0: back or take it back a little bit, does any of your technology help to blend hydrogen safely? I mean, that's been something that's been talked about quite a bit lately. And, you know, what are some of the safe measurements um, or volume percentage requirements?
1: Sure. Yeah. So starting with safety, because that's probably one of the the biggest concerns and and maybe I should Mentioned this in the last question is just the downstream impact of hydrogen blending. Is you have certain assets, whether it's a gas turbine, a gas engine, uh, just more pipeline, that they all have their different thresholds of, you know, what kind of hydrogen they want to see over what kind of period of time. Uh, so in reverse order, I guess the pipelines, uh, they're you know they could have embrittlement uh, over time. So we've seen seven to twenty percent as kind of that um, upper upper threshold, depending on you know what the material of the pipeline is. Gas turbines, right? They they will struggle with especially the larger um, dry low NOx emission gas turbines will will struggle with the uh, different flame speed of hydrogen, which will uh, potentially cause flashbacking. So you could have too much hydrogen and then melt your fuel nozzles, which would be a big uh, sh- shutdown, right? Uh, and potentially cause a safety issue. So you have multiple different uh, thresholds. So you could have situations where there's like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give the example of our of our case study at uh, Long Ridge Energy. Um, they're a large 7HA gas turbine, uh, some odd, you know, 500 plus megawatts, right? And they have a very small amount of time between where the hydrogen is uh, injected, blended, to where the gas turbine is consuming it. Uh, So that's good and bad. The good thing is, well, it's a really controlled environment in that you know exactly who your end user is of the hydrogen, right? So you don't have to cover like a worst case. uh, And uh, but the bad news is it needs to be fast because you just don't have a lot of piping, uh, and therefore you don't have a lot of time. Um, so we have this uh, really cool technology, Raman Spectroscopy. It works on an optical principle, and it allows you to get a very quick, you know, emission-free, um, non-extractive gas composition. And included included in that gas composition, of course, is that percent hydrogen. Uh, and that's really the the most critical measurement is what is that actual hydrogen signal uh, in the natural gas uh, blend. And you know from that, you could still derive other things with ISO and GPA standards in our analyzer, like bobby index, specific gravity, uh, you know all those all those different heating values that that you need. So we were we were fortunate enough to to be a part of that um, kind of early pilot. They were the first, uh, large scale gas turbine to have a meaningful amount of hydrogen blended. I, I should say pure pure hydrogen blended.
0: So I mean uh, digital technologies are sure to play some kind of role in the in, in the future energy transition. Um, can you tell us about some of uh, Anderson houses of uh, digital services like uh, remote monitoring or. Um, anything used for product instrumentation.
1: Yeah, sure. So I've got two examples and I'll just run through them pretty quickly here. So the first is uh, really based around this adage of uh, do more with, le- with less. So productivity in the field, I'm sure these green hydrogen facilities are going to want to run lean but safe. Uh, and so they're going to want to have a very slim staff. And in order to do that, the best way is to kind of automate some of the of the business practices um, particularly around maintenance and let's face it instrumentation is a high touch uh, item in the operation of a plant Uh, every plant has an inc technician and they're very busy Uh, especially now they have very few of them so uh, they also kind of govern their work with things called a cmms which is basically like a work order management system for their maintenance and typically what will happen is you'll have an alarm in a you know control system, it'll say something's wrong. They'll go out to an instrument. Maybe they see a fault message. Then they go back. They write a uh, a work order, uh, and that whole process you know takes them a certain amount of time. And when they write the work order, they're just basically saying, yeah, I looked at it. I just I I saw this. I need to go troubleshoot it, right? So what we've done is that whole front end um, we've we've automated it with uh, with a partnership with Rockwell on their CMMS called FIX uh, and basically what it does is, you know, we already follow any one Oh seven, uh, messaging on our devices. So that's like a check engine light, uh, for instruments, just, you know, really beefed up to be, uh, helpful, uh, to the operators. Um, so not just uh, Hey, check your, check your oil, uh, but really, you know, check the electrical connections because there is a low voltage on the transmitter something like that right so imagine that happens Uh, what our instrument will do is it actually interacts with the cloud uh, in parallel to interacting with the control system and it says hey i have this issue i think i know how to fix me would you please create a work order print what i think you should do on the work order and then Hand that over to a maintenance tech to come see me right uh and and so we were able to prove out that concept of you know a yeah you know, i think it was a flow meter that we did in our demonstration um being able to auto generate its own work order with the recommended remediation so i thought that was pretty pretty cool especially if you're trying to streamline operations in the field the second example is uh, i kind of i've i've been reading a lot about policy, you kind going of to have to in the energy transition. So much of it is driven by incentive, uh, and rightfully so, right? It's just pricing, externalities different. So the production tax credit that's in the Inflation Reduction Act, whether you're talking about hydrogen, uh, but even more broadly, uh, CO2, um, they are filed on a per kilogram basis. So that is a mass measurement, right? Uh, we're able to um provide that uh, with flow meters. That is a almost direct uh, mm. correlation between our technology uh, and you know, at the end of the day, what the accountant is sending to the government in order for uh, you know the I, the inflation reduction act to either do the direct pay mechanism, which some customers may may opt for or the actual tax credit. Uh, and so we see an opportunity here. Uh, and we are looking for proof of concept for this for your listeners to effectively take our information and similar in a way where the pressure transmitter in my last example was interacting with the control system but also with the cloud just, you know, in parallel. uh, You can imagine a similar uh, type of relationship where you've got a Coriolis flow meter in the field. It's already, you know, doing the, it's already hardwired back to a control system or a flow computer, but what it's also uh, wired in series with is some sort of IoT device that we, you know, we also manufacture that digitizes uh, that process value in real time, and it sends it up into our cloud, and then similar to how we brokered that information into FIX, we could broker that information into uh, like a Tableau or a Power BI, or like a accounting tool, uh, so we could just take that that you know per kilogram measurement, which may be multiple flow meters at one site that could have built been built in phases, uh, or it could be multiple sites. Right? The, geographically speaking, it doesn't matter. Once it's on the internet, it's all arbitrary. <laughs> so we can we can put all that information um, kind of direct to dashboard uh, from from the device.
0: That is interesting. So you're essentially making the flow meter multifaceted, if I'm understanding correctly.
1: Yeah, that process value is going to be used locally for control or for monitoring purposes, just to make sure everything's functioning. But then later it gets used for tax purposes. Uh, And so what we're suggesting is instead of, you know, we've seen it, these like manual spreadsheets for keeping track of uh, production at each individual site, and then filing—you know—on the basis of a spreadsheet. Uh, why not just have the data that's directly from the physical interaction with the flow meter, right? That is really the first-party data, uh, and just putting it directly into, uh, you know, whatever accounting um, program or whatever reporting program uh, that particular a customer wants to consolidate it and
0: get the middleman.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the middleman is often like an Excel spreadsheet uh, and a bunch of emails and phone calls to be like, hey, send me the report and I need to file this tax credit, right? It's like just you know, that data should be streamlined and automated. Right now. All
0: right, Corey. Well, I mean, that was all I had for you today. I, I really appreciate you answering all these questions. Uh, unless you had any closing thoughts for our listeners?
1: No, I I, I didn't prepare any any closing remarks. Uh, you know, certainly I've been keeping up with your podcast and and appreciate the work that you're that you're doing and hope you keep bringing people on and and sharing ideas because that's really I think where we're at right now in this uh, in this evolution uh, that some would call a revolution uh, is that you know we're all we're all trying to learn from each other. And um, to to make it all work. So whether it's safety or you know accounting for the molecule for tax purposes, right? It's all important. And so we just need to share those ideas and and work together on them.
0: Thank you, Corey. I appreciate that you're um, keeping track of the podcast. Uh, and you're welcome back anytime. I mean, like you said, the information sharing is the most important part. So thank you for coming on here and you know sharing what you can.
1: Thank you, Tyler.
0: And thank you to the listeners for tuning in for to another episode of H2 Tech Talk. Please remember to share and subscribe.